You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stevings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Dear, there's going to be a steward's inquiry about that one. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to the Plane Talking UK podcast. I'm Carl Stebbings and joining me in the barn studio, he's back in the barn studio as well am I this week. Indeed. Matt Smith. Uh, hello, everyone. Hello. Yes, I, 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 I'm sorry. It's uh, Apparently, I went 10 seconds early. 10 seconds early. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there we are. enough of that story in my life. Uh, anyway, uh, how is everyone? Uh, all very good. Yes, very good. Yes, uh, we've uh, had a bit more progress in the uh, PTUK studio build this week. We are uh, 100% complete in installing all the soundproofing, so it's incredibly quiet in there now when you Very shut good. the door. Okay. Uh, and what else? It we means got that you, we can no longer hear the muffled screaming as he's no, ma- as nailing I'm, his thumb <laughs> to, the, to the door. Yes. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've uh, we've just we've got some studio lights, which have got to be fitted. Yes, yes. Um, uh, thank, thank you very much to Owen for yeah. kindly donating those, yeah. Uh, what else have we got to fit up? We've got uh, a desk being put in next week. Yes, yeah, sort of like nice. a breakfast bar sort type of breakfast thing. Bar yeah, that's type happening thing going early in. part of next yeah, week. Next week, which would be awesome. And uh, yeah, and and the few finishing touches, uh, including we've got some carpet. Haven't we about to go down as well? I think so. Nice yes, we've got some nice down. pink carpet. Oh well, yeah. it matches the tiles, <laughs> which we've got a spray as well because at the moment the soundproofing. You're not, you're not spraying the carpet. No, but the soundproofing's <laughs> pink, so we need to spray the soundproofing. Um, actually, I'll pop, actually pop some pictures on Facebook at some point of this studio build so right yes, see, yeah. Yeah. there yeah. was some on Instagram I think this yeah. week weren't there because uh, I got messages about it I know yeah. it's <laughs> exciting anyway. so joining us uh, this week as always is the awesome co-host of the show as well he is the man who puts the one in one liners if you follow this man on Instagram oh, don't or do that. Facebook no. I should say <laughs> it's uh, Neville Bounds yes hi folks great to be back again and uh yeah looking forward to a great show been a bit of a hectic week again today uh sorry this week rather but today i went to or a client took me to um the design museum in london where there is a ferrari exhibition oh oh dear things that i can't possibly afford (laughs) but no no help no um harm in looking Um, i have to Lots of stuff back from the 1930s and 1940s right up to the present day. So I have to great. confess, we were talk, talking before we went live, weren't we, actually? I think we've all decided we'd actually rather have your banana rather than yeah. one of those yeah, silly definitely. Ferrari things. They oh. they break down far too well. You're right there, can't you? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's my fault. Right, okay. On things, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Now, we would all rather have the banana, I think, I Nev, think so, that's yeah. uh, true yeah. to say. Um for sure, it's cheaper to run, certainly. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah, and, and insure, and yeah. you can get yeah, more stuff yeah. in, yeah, easier that. to mend, breaks yeah, down less, yeah, uh, all the above. <laughs> so, joining us on the show this week, we have got uh, a very special guest indeed mm. joining us, and uh, he's uh, a chap who I'm sure that if you want to get a good picture taken of your house from around 10 or 15,000 feet, oh, he is the man yeah. to see. <laughs> so, welcome onto the show, it's Stephen Ivey. Uh, only he's not there. <laughs> only he's not there. <laughs> Where so did he welcome. <laughs> I missed him. <laughs> Where does Stephen go? Okay, all right. Well, Stephen Ivey is here. Uh, no doubt he will reappear at some point. So well, Stephen we'll, Ivey uh, is yeah. here as a guest. Honestly, he's here as a guest on the show. He's uh, using hotel Wi-Fi, oh unfortunately. Dear. But at, which, yeah. as we all know, hotel Wi-Fi is either incredibly, insanely good. Yes, yes. Or it's here prehistoric. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, so we've we've now depressed the chat room because they're all like, yay. 
yay, it's Stephen, yay, you know, Liz Piper, Jenny Parkinson, oh. all that. And it's uh, it's all gone horribly wrong. So, so while Matt tries and gets Stephen yeah. back, we're going <laughs> to okay. say a big warm welcome to everyone who's joined us in the live chat room this evening. Uh, loads of names in there, all the regular faces in there, as always. Jenny Parkinson's joining us uh, from Rome. Hello to, uh, uh, to you in Rome. Uh, Nico Riga, we've got uh, Liz Piper. Liz has been in there since last week. She hasn't left the chat room at all. Bless her. We all <laughs> no, love no. Liz. And uh, we've got Mariana. And uh, who else we've got? Jordan Rose. Uh, welcome to you, Jordan Rose, as well. Uh, who else we've got? We've got Jonathan Warner has also joined us. I'm how pleased to say, Jonathan, we have yes. got some grey stuff we this have, week yes, on the show. Yes, so yes, just yes. Especially stand down, everyone. Stand yeah. down. Uh, <laughs> we've got Masha as well. Hello, Masha uh, is joining us as well in the chat room. Falco as well in the chat room. Uh, I don't think I've missed anyone out. Hopefully I haven't missed anyone out. Alexandra Leons. Alexandra Leons as well in the chat room. I'm just scrolling up the oh, list here. Oh, no. What's up? Oh, who's in the chat room Ro as well? Royalty <gasps> has just arrived. Oh, royalty as uh -oh. well has joined us in the chat room in the form of Captain Jeff. Indeed. Yes. Hello to you. <coughs> so uh, the, uh, the time is five minutes past seven. It is Friday the 13th. Of April. Oh well, that's what's gone wrong, then, isn't it? That's when I, I, do you know? Do you know? I've been at work all day, and I hadn't actually realised it was Friday the thirteenth. Oh, and boy. I've had one of those days where, if anything could go wrong, it has gone wrong. And I think, Nev, I think you've had a similar experience today. Did Did you realise it was Friday the thirteenth? <laughs> yeah, we were actually going really well until about five o'clock this evening when I had a right. bit of a client. Um, <laughs> Issue, shall we right. say? Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's so, well, a good three so, quarters now to sort so, out, but uh, we're okay now. Yeah, well, it's, and it's one of those, isn't it? It's like you know, if the if the hotel Wi-Fi was going to play up, obviously it's going to play up on on Friday oh, the thirteenth. Ah, oh, it all makes perfect sense oh, now. This is perfectly yeah. normal. Oh. So we're gonna we're gonna mash on as we do uh, with the uh, slight issue there with uh, Stephen's hotel Wi-Fi. He's, he's returning. It's all he's right. Returning. Don't panic. Yes, yes. Yes, uh, but we have uh, we've got a spot of uh, housework to do this week before we start the show. As always, it's uh, kind of near the beginning of the month, so uh, we're going to say a big thanks and hand things over to uh, Nev, who's got uh, some special mentions. Yes, of course, uh, the Patreon fund is really important, and thank you very much for your uh, fantastic contributions. So uh, we do like to mention the people that uh, help us, and of course, especially as we're building the, the barn studio and doing lots of other stuff, we have slightly more expenditure than, all, than usual. But uh, I'd just like to mention the following people. It's uh, Adrian Meacham, Nick Anderson, Captain Jeff, Stephanie Plummer, Stuart Black, Liz Piper, Jonathan Warner, Evan Shue, Adam Spink, Matt Donemeyer, Jeff Ward, Ben Todd, York Moller, Philip Labe, Andrew Wilson, Graham Haley, Matt Caton, David Humphreys, Eric Graves, Jordan Rose, Steve Andress, Matthew Bunting Frame, Myla, Ryan Harper, Stuart Backer, and Ray Williams. Thank you very much to all of you for your brilliant contributions. We really appreciate it. We really do know. And uh, if you want to uh, contribute towards the show, then take yourself to patreon.com and look up PT or Plain Talking UK, and you'll find our Patreon page there. If there, if there, uh, you'll also find it on the website. If you don't want to do that, of course, don't forget you can make a donation from PayPal. And if, like me, where you haven't really got any sort of spare money floating around, then why not do your shopping through the Amazon link? That way, you can contribute towards the show, uh, and it doesn't cost you a penny. Sort of with all your usual shopping, so it's uh, it's uh, no excuse really. You can help us uh, by any way, any way you like. I really messed that up. I'm sorry. No, it's you all don't going mind. so well. <laughs> and a special hello as well to uh, to a new, I think a new 
uh, new face in the chat room, Jacob mm. Schumann. Oh, cool. Uh, he's saying good day from uh, Austria. Austria. Oh, very good. Oh, hello, Austria. Jacob. Oh, welcome very into good. the like uh, live it, yeah. chat room. Chaos that is the PTUK show. I don't know what you mean. Welcome back, uh, Stephen. I'm guessing you're back uh, with us. Or not, as the case may be. No, no, okay. okay. So close. I can assure you, at one point there, Stephen was in the virtual studio. We're just under Nev there. Look, we could just show him, you know, in... in look, there, in, he's frozen, look. He's frozen. He's frozen oh. in time. Stephen's frozen it's, solid. Yeah. The indeed. hotel has yeah. turned its heating off. Yeah, indeed. Stephen's frozen. Absolutely. Um, well, I suppose so we've got crack on, I suppose. We'll, we'll get Stephen back. Don't panic. We'll get Stephen back. Uh, but uh, we are going to start off things then uh, as we do each week with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if you're ready, Matt. I am, yes. And if you're ready, Nev. Yes, completely. Let's go. Kicking off this week's first news story, and this one is on the npr.org website, this one. Uh, the two-way breaking news from NPR. So uh, everyone remembers the uh, story uh, from uh, from last year with Dr. David Dow being sort of pulled off an aircraft United flight rather um, oh, vigorously. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a, in a um, rather unfriendly manner. In a rather unfriendly manner. Uh, so the uh, the headline on the story is uh, Officer who forcibly removed passenger from a United flight last year sues the airline. So and really, a, yes, there's a shock. I know. <laughs> so uh, an aviation security official who was fired after dragging a passenger off a United Airlines flight in Chicago last year is suing the airline and his former employer for uh, the Chicago Department of Aviation, charging that he was not adequately trained for such a situation. James Long was <laughs> called to the plane on April in 2017 after passenger Dr. David Dow refused to give up his seat to a United employee on the Chicago Louisville. Uh, flight. So, as NPR's Camilla reported at the uh, time, I'm sorry, a, bit of a funny name there. Uh, so, uh, the, obviously, at the time, Dr. David Dow visibly looked bloodied in the video, which was taken by fellow passengers, as he was violently wrenched from his seat and physically dragged down the aisle. The incident turned to a public relations debacle for United. Um, Long was fired in August, uh, as was another officer involved in the incident, and a third officer was reassigned, uh, according to the Associated Press. Dow said he sustained a broken nose and lost a tooth in the incident, and United apologised and later reached an undisclosed settlement with Dow. Long suits names United Airlines, Chicago Department of Aviation, or the CDA, and its Commissioner Ginger Evans, but for the CDA's negligence and failure to train Long and how to respond to an escalating situation with an airline, he would not have acted in the manner he did, which resulted in his termination of contract, according to the lawsuit. It also alleges that in multiple tweets, Evan defamed Long, calling his actions completely inappropriate and saying that the CDA does not arm security staff for good reason. The suit says such statements implied that Long was not acting in his capacity as a police officer. Representatives for United and the city declined to comment on Wednesday, saying they had not received the lawsuit, according to a Associated Press. Separately, 300 aviation security officials have filed a federal
federal lawsuit against the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois, saying they were unfairly stripped of their law enforcement background after an incident involving Dayo, according to the Chicago Tribune. Well, it's safe to say this story seems to not go away. Um, <laughs> And, yeah, I, which, and, uh, and I dare say a certain airline would quite like it to go away. Yeah, and I mean, the, the, really we, we've got the passenger obviously um, suing or the airline United and getting... Now we've got the guy who dragged him off the airline suing, uh, <sighs> suing United can't, for... Can't we just stop it? Inappropriate <laughs> it's training. What's it going to be next? You know, is, you know is, is the person who was recording this going to... I don't know, Sue United. Sue for or, sort of like uh, emotional damages or to something. The phone? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was yeah. thinking of suing them myself because I can't stand listening to the story anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, yeah. I mean, that is that is uh, obviously a valid concern, Nev, and I, I <sighs> genuinely think that you have a good case. I'm not going to lie. We're all a bit sick of hearing about it. I think it's it. a bit of a suey, yeah. suey nature, or a bit of culture, I should say, isn't it? You know, you know. Well, mind you, I, I, yeah. as much as I'd like to say that, that, that we, we aren't like that anymore, I have to confess, I think we probably oh, yeah, are, yeah, though, yeah. aren't we? Where Definitely. We're, where we're literally sort of... Um, yeah, Liz has quite soup. rightly put in the chat room that yes. the lawyers are just loving the whole incident. Mm. Yes, mind, mind you, Liz also said in the chat room that she rather loves the word debacle, which mm. I, I kind of agree with. I think, it's a, and, I think and, it's a beautiful word that's massively underused in, in social situations. Masha, yeah. Masha has <laughs> said something really good in the chat room. Actually, yeah. Masha says, when in doubt, sue. Right, okay. Yes, I mean, you know, we all have to have a hobby, I suppose. That, that, is, that is what... Should we, should we move away from this slightly dangerous suing technology before we get sued oh, ourselves? Yeah. And uh, we'll move straight on to story two. Actually, actually we have got some, uh, some awesome audio feedback coming up later in the show from Captain Nick, which verges on... He nearly sued us. But anyway, Did he? We'll, we'll not oh, go there. But, oh, uh, we'll play that later. Uh, what a, what a so, treat for us all. I know. Uh, oh, Mr. Ivy's back, everyone. Mr. Ivy's Way. back. Yay! <laughs> 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 See, look, he, he is here. Look, 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 there he, he does is. does exist. He does exist. <laughs> oh, thank goodness for that. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, so back to the uh, the back to the back uh, matter at hand. So this is uh, story number two, which means it's one thing and one thing only. It's a Ryanair story. This is on the Yahoo.com Yahoo. website. Uh, beg your pardon? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, the airline, uh, and the headline is Ryanair to shut Crete base. Limit Greek flights in airport fair protest. So Irish low-cost carrier Ryanair on Wednesday said it would shut down its base on the popular Greek tourist island of Crete to protest against airport charges. The Dublin-based group said it would also reduce its domestic Greek flights from the 1st of June to the start of the busy travel season. Regrettably, current airport charges at the majority of Greek airports encourage peak-only services in the summer or international routes, which require fewer aircraft in Greece. Uh, Nicholas uh, Lardis, who is the Ryanair sales manager for the Eastern Mediterranean, said in a statement, no specific detail was given on the charges in question. Two aircraft will therefore be transferred from Greece to Germany, where they can achieve superior utilisation on a year-round basis, Lardis added. Ryanair will continue to operate Athens services to top uh, tourist island destinations, Mykonos and, is it Satori? Centauri? Santorini, sorry. Santorini, Santorini. my apologies, yeah. uh, during the summer in addition to Thessaloniki. Uh, but all other Greek services will be cancelled. This will affect connections from Athens to Shania Shan Airport on Crete and Rhodes and Shania uh, to Thessaloniki, the company said. Four low-frequency flights from Shania to Katowice. 
Memming, Memmingen Vis Trevis Treviso. Oh, You're right there, man. No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and Villainous will also be scrapped, the No Frills airline said, noting that it remained open to talks with airport operators to sustain a year-round service. Chania Airport is run by German operators Fraport, uh, who said on Wednesday that Ryanair is a strategic partner in nine out of the 14 airports managed by the company under the 2015 privatisation deal. Fraport Greece respects Ryanair's operational needs and choices, said George Villos, who is the executive director of commercial and business development. Fraport's holdings include the airport in Thessaloniki, uh, Mykonos, Santorini and Corfu. Foo. So, uh, so who are Fraport? Are they are they a, 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 an airline operator themselves then, or are they they just specialise? About the um, the airport um, owner or handling right? Okay, operator. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, I can't help but feel it. It sounds like there's a just just sour grapes going on here for the sake of sour grapes, but uh, it's um, I I suppose I don't know. I mean, people have to adjust. I mean. I know from uh, my mum went to Greece only a couple of years ago, uh, having been sort of like, you know, five or six years previous to that before all the sort of, you know, the financial troubles, if you like, started in Greece. And one of the things, well, her lasting memory of her most recent trip there was how hideously expensive absolutely everything had become. You know, as where like sort of five, six years ago when she went, it was a comparatively cheaper experience. Uh, now it, you know, prices are through the roof and, and all that. So I guess, you know, you, you, you've got to expect that airports are charging them more. And if, it, if they aren't getting the load factors perhaps on, on, these, on these routes, then, then it's not worth paying the, the extra charges, I guess. Just what about paying the uh, passengers and landing fees? Might have to get Jen to help them out to collect them. True. I was just looking at um, departure and um, fees, landing fees, um, but departure charges actually at Heathrow Airport, you know, just as a matter of how much these things are at yeah, airports, yeah, yeah. to give you a rough idea. Um, this is the public from, uh, public, uh, publicised in tw uh, 2018, so it's this mm. year. Uh, Heathrow, uh, UK, the minimum departure charge uh, for a flight flying from Heathrow into an EU country. Uh, is £761.40. That's the minimum charge Ooh, right. for an aircraft. Uh, for non-EU destinations, so aircraft flying out of Heathrow to um, to destinations you know, across the pond as such, okay. uh, £1,378.08 minimum charge. How for does aircraft. that compare to, say, an airport in Greece? I mean, is it... I don't actually know. It'd be interesting to find out how much yeah. they, um, you know, the airport, different airports charge for landing and uh, departure. You because know, I mean, I mean, obviously fees. Ryanair don't fly into and out of. Um, actually, uh, one of one of the listeners who would probably know about this would be Jennifer. Oh yeah, cool. because yeah, obviously, yeah, 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 she'd know she's about the in fees. The know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So moving on to the next story, and uh, Nev. Yeah, this is in on the uh, scene in the city. Uh, website seenincity.com um, and I thought oh a great British Airways story coming up but not quite um, <laughs> it says um, take fitness to new heights with an exercise class 162 meters in the air on the British Airways I360 
I shan't be doing that. No, 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 I was going to say, why would you do that? What's wrong with you? However, it says International Fitness Phenomenon F45 is set to take fitness to new heights with an exclusive takeover of the British Airways i360 on Saturday the 21st of April. Unlike your normal fitness class, you'll be taking part in a functional workout where you'll be squatting, <sighs> lifting, pushing, pulling for 45 minutes with a sensational backdrop of the beautiful city of Brighton. There'll be sweat and maybe some tears, <laughs> but a great live DJ to keep you motivated throughout the session to push you to do that extra rep. Uh, this one-off event is on track to be the world's highest fitness class and is a great way to get your day started, is it? As well as see the views of Brighton. Uh, F45 Brighton Central I360 Takeover is being run to raise funds for the local Rocking Horse Charity, a charity that helps to improve the lives of sick children and their families across Sussex. Well, that's a good thing, very good cause. When speaking about the F uh, F45 Brighton Central event, a rep from F45 said, we're delighted to be taking our signature F45 workout to the skies on the British Airways I360. We're committed to partnering with the Rocking Horse Charity throughout 2018 and want to raise as much money as possible for them. We are super excited to see people experiencing our incredible, incredible F45 workout in such a unique location in our amazing city. Tickets will be going on sale this Saturday. Uh, sorry, that's actually last Saturday, in fact, on the 7th of April from 9am. They're priced at £60, which includes your I360 flight, F45 workout, post-workout innermost protein shake odd i'm sorry F what? f45 t-shirt and f45 baseball cap followed by a healthy breakfast in the west beach bar and kitchen at british airways i360 the f45 brighton central is a special one-off event so be quick as these are expected to sell out quickly and if you want to register your interest i think there's still time uh, send an email to brighton central at, at f 45 training that's all one word f45 training.co.uk and all proceeds from the event go to the rocking horse charity i've got no problem with the um the charity and the, the good cause that's absolutely fantastic but this uh, this seems too much like hard work for me <laughs> yeah i mean what's next they're going to have uh, gyms on board aircraft I mean, I'm surprised. Um, I'm actually surprised an airline hasn't thought of that yet to have a, a gym purpose built on the, you know, gonna, part of the, uh, the aircraft. Yeah. What do What do you think, Stephen? Gym workout while it. I, I mean, I I kind of wish I had a gym on board uh, my little plane flying around all day, just something to stretch my legs and everything, because you know I'm up there for a couple hours a day. But uh, I think a gym on a commercial airliner might not be practical just because of all the weight of the equipment and everything and then you might have somebody that's lifting you know 300 pound on a deadlift and then drop it to the floor it might go through the uh, bottom and damage the hole well and of course i mean the, the 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 obvious issue with all of this is literally the weight isn't it i mean that's one of the reasons why these things don't exist already is because they do weigh you know literally tons some of some of this weight stuff isn't it i mean it's that's got to be a major major reason why we haven't seen it on on fancy aircraft yet there must be an aeroplane out there Probably somewhere is. that's privately privately owned that uh, that has um exactly that you know yeah Maybe a yoga studio or something on board. That might be a little bit better. <laughs> or a recording studio for to do yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. yeah, that'd be good. Okay, yeah. yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, so next story, then, Stephen. We hand that one over to you, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, um, I've got it right here. Um, let's see. This is on uh, Bloomberg, and it says... Uh, 
Pilot shortage forces world's biggest long-haul carrier to cut flights. Um, Emirates, the world's largest long-haul airline, said a, said a rebound in earnings over the past year faces a challenge this summer as a pilot shortage forces the Dubai carrier to trim frequencies. Sales that stumbled after the low oil price crippled travel in the Persian Gulf. Um, economies continue to pick up in the second half uh, through March 31st, uh, President Tim Clark said Wednesday in Hamburg. Uh, U.S. demand has also rebounded from restrictions imposed by Donald, Trump pres Donald Trump's presidency. The uh, revival will come under pressure as a shortfall of 100 to 150 pilots compels Emirates to prepare to pair frequencies to destinations including Fort Lauderdale, Miami during the looming high season for global travel. Cuts will also extend to several European and Asian, Asian routes according to the reports. Um, he says we're tad short on pilots. Adding the service reductions will be a short term that the new crew members should be all right by summer or October. Factors including economic growth in the U.S. and U.K. and high employment and raising wages in Germany continue to favor growth, he said. Um, well, I'm glad to see that it's just not the United States um, suffering with the pilot shortage here. Um, I know Emirates, they, you know, they fly the larger long-haul um, aircraft, so you can't really just pull a guy off the street to go fly it. Um, I was looking at their um, hiring page before we uh, started the show, and they are asking for uh, 2,000 total hours in aircraft that weigh greater than 20,000 tons. Um, wow. So that's, I would think, most of your commercial aircraft. Yeah. Um, they also prefer you to have a type rating in some sort of Airbus or Boeing uh, product. Um, and then they also list their pay here, which is um, 30000 What What's their currency over there? I'm not familiar with it. Uh, it's uh, dirhams. Dirhams. Okay, so that translates into roughly uh, $8,400 per month. Wow. Um, they also give you a $3,400 U.S. housing allowance to live in Dubai. So. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I think it's sort of safe to say, of course, it, it, it isn't uh, just a US thing. I mean, I know uh, that there's a pilot shortage here in the UK. I think, you know, I think it's just a, a cross board um, sort of pilot shortage. And it's just, I think certainly here in the UK, it's not very easy to obtain your commercial license, is it? I mean, I know we've we've spoken about this before. And I, I think, we, I mean, we've, we've spoken with Captain Al, who I've seen just appear in the chat room there. Hey, Brace yourselves, everyone. Captain Al. Um, and, and he's, you know, we've had chats about this before where there, there is just you know i don't know what the solution is really i mean how, how you, you've got to the the easiest way to solve the the pilot shortage surely is to make it cheaper for everybody to become a pilot oh, yeah. i mean surely that's yeah. uh, you know got to be the solution and, and it's a lot cheaper in the states to become you know a commercial trained pilot yeah, I mean, it. it, it I, well, I say it's cheaper. Um, it's a lot it, cheaper it than the UK. It depends on the route you take and everything, too. I mean, yeah. if you go to the military, um, you, you know, the government's going to pay for your training, um, which is going to, you know, essentially cost you nothing but uh, time in the service and um, things like that. And then, you know, once you get out, the minimums to go to a commercial airline over here are lower than for people like me or um, just mm -hmm. people that off of the... 141 programs at the colleges um, and then over in the the Europe and I guess the Middle East it's a little bit different um, you still have to do the same amount of hours I think the course work and everything's a little bit different 
and the requirements are too. I know a lot of the um, airlines, I think Ryanair especially, they want you to pay for your training out of pocket, um, which is a considerable amount of money. But you know, once you have that type rating uh, for whatever aircraft you're in, that kind of opens doors for you over there. As to where over here, you know, having a type rating doesn't necessarily open as many doors to larger airlines. You're kind of tied to a particular aircraft from that point forward. I mean, it's yeah, it, it, it's the, chi- the the whole cost of the thing is the big thing here in the UK. It just costs so much to get your your PPL. I mean, yeah. I know that, um, yeah. and it's. You know, a lot of people do that. I that I've spoken to a lot of uh, people do move or not move, but do their flight training in the US because it's just, just that much cheaper. Mm. Or South Africa as well is another quite a popular destination too. Yeah, uh, that's where um, really? Stuart, got Stuart his, did yeah. a lot of his, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yes. Well, either way, they need to do something about it. I think mm. it's safe to say. Anyway, Absolutely. we could go on about this for for days. And, and days let's and days, not forget we... as well, Emirates have got that huge order for more A three eighties as well. And the triple sevens as well. So they're they're buying aircraft that they haven't got pilots to fly. Yeah, and you know another <laughs> thing too is you know most of their flights are over eight hours, so they're going to have to have two sets of crews on board yep. for yeah, um, yeah. most of their flights. So it causes a bigger shortage than probably most airlines. Yeah, no. It, it, as I say, they're, 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 I don't know what the solution. Well, the solution is make it cheaper, I think, and then mm. there'll be more people available. Because I'm sure it's not an absolute thing. Anyway, we must move on. So the next story is on the globes.co.il, and uh, this uh, this one's quite a disturbing um, story, really, in regards to flying um, over the Mediterranean. But uh, the headline is: Airlines handed Eastern Mediterranean missile warning. I'm sorry, what? So uh, Eurocontrol <laughs> warns. Uh, that ground-to-air cruise missiles likely to be launched in the area of Syria and they could disrupt uh, navigational systems. The European Organization for the Safety of Air Navigation, Eurocontrol, has sent a warning to airlines operating flights in uh, eastern Mediterranean and the Middle East about an air attack in Syria over the next uh, possible uh, 72 hours, uh, the global media reports. Eurocontrol warns that ground-to-air and cruise missiles likely to be launched in the area could disrupt the navigational systems in the aircraft of airlines operating flights in the Middle Eastern countries with an emphasis on flights passing over Nicosia in Cyprus. Uh, the warning follows statements by U.S. President Donald Trump concerning the possibility of military action in Syria after the gas attack there last week. Trump cancelled his planned trip to South America and warned this week that the response would be rapid and powerful. Eurocontrol's warning suggests uh, taking into account the possibility of an air attack in Syria in the planning of flights in countries in the region. According to the Flight Radar 24 website, the only commercial flights that currently fly over Syria are by Syrian Air and Lebanese Airline, uh, Middle Eastern Airlines. Uh, the various news websites have published response by representatives of airlines in Europe uh, to the warning, including Lufthansa, for example, whose spokesperson said that they are aware of the warnings and that the company emphasizes that airlines in the group had been avoiding Syrian airspace for, in their flights for quite some time. EasyJet here in the UK announced that uh, it had conducted a safety and security assessment uh, and would adopt precautionary measures, including uh, its 
uh, routes uh, Tel Aviv, or from Tel Aviv. Uh, Ryanair and BA also announced that they were also evaluating the significance of warnings. Uh, EasyJet said that EasyJet conducted a safety and security assessment of activity in the region and as a result will take a number of precautionary measures including rerouting of its flights from Tel Aviv uh, as safety of the passengers and flight crew are top of their priorities. Uh, it's obviously you know this is these are things I have to take seriously. Mm. Yeah, we, we've had instances in the past where um, obviously you know aircraft have been um, brought down by yeah you know, uh, you know air to air. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, does it? No, but no, uh, thankfully. But uh, they have to take these things incredibly seriously indeed. But uh, Nev, what do you reckon? This, this is uh, you know you've got to well, be careful we're all, here. We're all sitting here waiting, aren't we, to see what the next thing is? Mm. And um, if ever a civilian aircraft was brought down by any kind of missile from anybody that would be very serious indeed for all concerned uh, so um i just i just hope so we people take a sensible pill over the next few days <laughs> I, can't, I can't promise it but it would be nice i know that stuff that's gone on and i i understand that but i think we've just got to take a a serious look at all this mm. i mean a small part as i say i'm gonna get myself into trouble for this i know but a small part of me sort of thinking um we've been down this road before and it hasn't ended very well we've been down this road again before and it hasn't ended very well mm. uh, are we ever going to learn or are we just going to keep you know i, I don't know uh, it's just like i don't know flying in the u.s is a lot simpler isn't it Stephen? <laughs> well it is most days um you know, we don't generally have to worry about this sort of thing over here. Um, usually more running than somebody else. But um, I, I know there's, uh, I think FedEx, actually. Um, they have a system on board some of their aircraft that's actually um, the chaff and the anti-missile system that um, some fighter aircraft use um, that they have on some of their aircraft that go to the Middle East. Um, if I think if stuff like this is going to be a more common occurrence, airlines might want to look into investing into this. Um, you know, it doesn't yeah. necessarily guarantee that the missile is not going to hit you, but it certainly improves your chances from yeah. having um, no capability at all. Yeah, no, a valid point. So the next story then, Matt, and uh, this one is one we were discussing earlier, actually. Yeah. And uh, I think if this idea comes true it'll be quite interesting <laughs> although again uh, St Stephen did raise some interesting points when yeah. when we were talking about it which I'm I'm sure he'll be uh, mentioning in a moment but it's on the USA Today USA Today website sorry and the headline is sleeper berths in airline cargo holds that's the plan at Airbus mm. so you might soon be able to sneak down to the cargo hold for a nap the next time you take an ultra long transoceanic flight uh, that's the idea being floated by plane manufacturer Airbus and seat maker Zodiac Aerospace the companies say they're working to develop sleeping berths that could be installed in the cargo holds of certain long-range Airbus craft. Uh, Airbus and Zodiac Aerospace say that the cargo compartment modules would offer new opportunities for additional services to passengers, improving their experience whilst enabling airlines to differentiate and add value to their commercial operations. The companies say they hope to offer the uh, option to airlines for orders beginning in 2020. Initially, the sleeper modules would be offered on Airbus A330 wide bodies, either on new deliveries or with an option to retrofit existing aircraft. Adding the option to Airbus's new long-range A350 jets is also being studied. It's unclear how the sleeper berths might be offered to passengers. Decisions on how to market and sell such options are typically 
left up to the airline and their customers. Airbus and Zodiac Aerospace did not detail any specific concepts, but it's likely that passenger carriers would consider several options. One might, be, one might include selling access for passengers sitting elsewhere on the plane, presumably letting them pay for several hours, or perhaps an entire flight's worth uh, time of, of time in the sleepers. Some higher-end carriers might uh, explore the idea as a possibility to add a lounge area where one of the perks could be a nap. Airbus and Zodiac offered several concepts in mock-ups uh, accompanying their press statement. One shows a large lounge, uh, sorry, one shows a standard lounge. Others show options that include a conference room and a kids and family zone and even a medical care zone. Uh, absent additional details, the birth so, uh, the berths are unlikely to become an option for the entire duration of a flight. Safety rules require passengers to be buckled into seats during takeoff and landing, and it's not clear whether such an option would be available in a cargo area of sleeper berths. It also seems unlikely that a passenger would want to commit to a sleeper berth for flights of eight hours or more without a dedicated option for upright seating or windows. The modules could not be occupied during takeoff or landing, and Airbus spokesman Martin Fent said by email to USA Today's Today in the Sky blog. These underfloor sleeping berths would be aimed more towards economy class market, really, I'm amazed, and would be available for a lower price for a passenger than a premium class flatbed seat. So I mean, the story goes on, but you basically get the, uh, the the gist here. They're sort of toying with the idea of doing it. Now, as Stephen, you actually raised quite an interesting point when we were talking about this before we started, in the fact that, because uh, it's it's not exactly the quietest part of the aeroplane down there. No, no it's not. And um, there's not any, um, I don't believe there's a standard like HVAC or heating system that could keep you warm or cool while you're down there either. Um, not to mention the soundproofing and all that, so it's quite noisy down there. And not only that, um, most aircraft, unless it's a wide body and has a um, crew rest down below, they don't have access to the cargo hold itself. So that's another factor you're going to have to play into this as well. I mean, and you know, the, go, going back to this too, um, it's a weight issue too. All the uh, berths, the uh, walls, storage, and all that. Um, you have to have it down there, and then um, the extra crew, the monitor, everybody to make sure. Um, I'm gonna leave it as a family show, and um, also you're taking away wow, from hi. your cargo <laughs> capacity as well, because um, it's gonna be taking up the cargo hold. So yeah. you're gonna be possibly losing revenue if you don't sell these um, sleeping berths. I mean, is it being considered possibly because essentially? they aren't filling the holes i mean is that is that sort because of, i mean so, so many people nowadays are used to flying on a budget if you see what i mean and therefore used to doing it all on hand in hand like you're what? smiling i'm almost what? terrified to look at the chat no room. i'm just <laughs> i'm just looking at this this story goes on actually to say that i mean one of the uh the the design is called Zodiac Aerospace, who obviously do a lot of work with interiors of aircraft interiors. Um, they've they've got this kind of de sort of pencil design here of a, of a kids' play area yeah, or I family zone like uh, with a slide going from the you know the main cabin area down to this lower compartment, and then like a soft play area with a with a um, like a cinema for kids so they can watch a film. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, I. I, I 
Oh, ah, sorry. Oh, pressed the wrong button there. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I could kind of see the kind of see why. I mean, why don't they? Why don't they do it like that? Where you, somewhere we could go and watch like a film. Mind you, I suppose you can all watch an onboard cinema. Yeah, an onboard cinema. Although but you've got you've, well, yeah, when you're traveling, obviously like Nev when he travels uh, first class with BA. You know, he's got his own TV and everything and uh, concierge service. He, he doesn't need a, a cinema to go and watch. Although, <laughs> although the, the the small part of me that dislikes children, I say. Get rid of those kids, Dan. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> is put all the children in the cargo hold anyway. Never mind. Uh, like, you know, it's, but that's just that's just me. Being, yeah, that's just me being old and grumpy. <laughs> so moving on to uh, the next story, then, and uh, Nev, this is for you. Yeah, now I can't actually load the next story um, because you need one of those account things, and even turning the ad blocker off. Oh, really? Western, it does, doesn't work. So, oh, uh, oh dear. I've got, oh, I, I've got the full thing. I have two free articles remaining. Oh, ah, yeah. do you want to take this one then, Stephen? Yeah, yeah, I can uh, Great. take this one. Um, let's see. Uh, this is on the Chicago Business Journal. Boeing gets a $1.7 billion freighter order from, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably butcher this, but is it Cutter, Qatar? What do we call it on the show? Oh, oh, uh, Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Qatar. Uh, <laughs> Qatar. Okay, we'll go with Qatar. Um, Qatar Airways today signed a letter of intent with Chicago-based manufacturer Boeing to purchase five wide-body wide Boeing 777 freighter planes valued at $1.7 billion. The Boeing 777 freighter is capable of flying 4,900 nautical miles with a payload of 112 tons. The airplane's long range translates in significant savings as fewer stops mean lower landing fees, less congestion, lower cargo handling costs, and faster delivery times. Boeing is a leader of air cargo freighter in the Boeing excuse me, in the air cargo freighter arena, providing 90% of the dedicated freighter capacity around the world. Qatar Airways currently operates a fleet of nearly 100 Boeing wide-body airplanes and has about 100 more Boeing aircraft on order. Um, Qatar CEO um, Akbar Al Baker, is, is that really his name? I thought it was just Al Baker. Anyway, um, the, the, the addition of the five triple seven freighters is a significant amount. For our cargo division, as the world's largest, th third largest cargo operator, Qatar Airways continues to invest in fleet expansion. This transaction will be a reinforcement of our confidence in Boeing to continue to deliver an outstanding product that meets our our exacting standards. Well, um, it looks like Boeing got a, five more orders for their triple seven freighter um, variant. Um, I wasn't aware that Qatar had it that large of a uh, cargo operation out of them. Um, their head. Yeah. Doha's a huge airport, or, Do or Doha, if you want to call it, you know, Doha, Doha, Doha. Doha, 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 Qatar, Qatar. Qatar, yeah. I've been, I've, I've not, uh, I've not um, been into the actual terminal building at Doha, but I've been through, I like, landed there um, for a short time and then taken off. But it's a huge airport, it's a massive hub at Doha. But I have seen the, the uh, cargo aircraft there for Qatar, Qatar yeah. Airways. <laughs> And it's, uh, yeah, it's obviously not a, a, such a big operation like FedEx or something no. like that, but they do, you know, even Emirates have their own cargo division as well. Well, so. well, you don't know what the type of cargo is. I mean, is this not like Amazon hauling stuff from the United States over to the Middle East or anything, or is it just um, chartered cargo for companies over there? Yeah, I think most a lot of it is... Um, Probably with with those the Middle Eastern kind of, is kind of food produce and stuff like that. I think 
is probably and obviously electronics I'd imagine is quite a big part of their, their cargo. Oh, I've well. heard of electronics. I can't, you I'm like electronics? That subject. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> so we're, we're going to go on to the next story then if we might. Nev, uh, I Nev. wonder if you might be able to take this yes, one instead. I, I this suits this story please, suits Nev down to the ground. Oh, yes, well, it's got some faults with some of the stuff they're talking oh, about. And this dear. is from the uh, Australian <laughs> Business Traveller website. And it says that Boeing has pulled back the covers on its all-new business class seat, which will be offered to airlines as an off-the-shelf seat for the priority, the story for the pointy end of the factory-fresh Boeing jets, as well as retrofit upgrades. Intended for the twin aisle jets, such as the Boeing 777 and 787 Dreamliner family, it not only converts into a live flat bed, but also allows the paired middle seats to become a cozy double bed. I don't know if you, uh -oh. Matt's got the uh, pictures up for He's this, working but on it. Um, He's working frankly it. speaking, it looks like three airbags have gone <laughs> off um, when, <laughs> when it's actually supposed to be a double bed, which I just judging by the width of that, that does not look uh, anywhere near uh, adequate for my. Uh, I mean, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm popping the picture up now, Nev. I, 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 I can't help but feel uh, it's not built for the more ample of gentlemen, shall we That's say? Height-wise, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind girth. I'm talking actual height. I don't think yeah. you want to. You, you want to be more than four foot. Five, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I suppose you could sort of starfish or go diagonally across the desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there's a slot underneath that um, the front side right there that your feet actually yeah, go underneath yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. But but even then, that's that's not a lot oh, of space. It's been developed with the automotive seat maker Adiant, and it's the flagship of several concept designs in the portfolio of joint venture Adiant Aerospace, and will this week be shown to potential customers at Hamburg's annual aircraft interiors expo. Other details are scant surrounding the new seat, apart from the fact that it converts into a fully live flat bed, and as can be seen from the photo, makes room for the mod cons of personal space to spread out one's work and keep selected in-flight items close at hand. However, the smartphone nestled into a recessed compartment hints that wireless charging, which is already found on the latest Apple iPhones and Samsung Galaxy mobiles, could be part of the high-tech roster. Mm -hmm. The seat also appears to have sliding privacy doors similar to those of uh, Qatar Airways Q-Suite. It'll be our goal to provide a superior customer and passenger service experience by delivering superior quality seats with intelligent product design, said Alan Whitman, who's the CEO of Adient Aerospace. And they are seeking to carve out a slice of the commercial airline seating market, which industry analysts expect to grow from 4.5 billion US dollars in 2017 to 6 billion dollars by 2026. Wow. I think it's safe to say that in the chat room there has been much uh, conversation about this. Uh, Captain Nick, who will be coming back to later as, as I get yet another ticking off, or we all get a ticking <laughs> off, I think, uh, is sort of said that, um, that he's actually slept two up in a two foot six uh, two foot six inch wide bed um, and that's uh, an image that I think will haunt me probably now until I, I pass uh, it has to be said uh, mainly because Nick is so very very tall uh, I don't yeah. quite understand how that how that even works um, but uh, anyway uh, as Neil quite rightly says uh, well and Nick it indicates that he didn't get much sleep to be fair and uh, Nick quite rightly has said 
Family show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> family show. Uh, I'm going to have to have that stinger myself <laughs> at, at some point. This is this is happening oh, more brilliant. and more. Uh, but uh, yes, what a what a what, <laughs> old Captain Al. Honestly, hope we didn't have a double curry on that occasion, Nick. Really good point. Good point. Anyway, the tone has been suitably lowered. Uh, shall we move on? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're kind of off off kilter now. With who's? Uh, shall I go? I'll, uh, I'll take the next one. Shall I? Yeah. Yeah. This one is on the uh, digitaltrends.com website. A uh, bit of one for the techie people here, Matt. Hello, uh, Mr. Bounds. Yes. And the headline: There is a good reason why this drone flies near aircraft. So ordinarily, you don't want drones going anywhere near planes. A small flying machine could collide with a large flying machine. One with people on board almost certainly isn't going to end well, which is why strict flying bans are in place around airports for quadcopters and other remotely controlled aerial devices. So why is Airbus happily flying drones right up close to their own aircraft? Well, it's actually to make planes safer, as the aerospace giant is using the machines to help with visual checks of aircraft, considerably reducing aircraft downtime and improving the quality of inspection reports. Ports, Airbus says. The company unveiled its advanced inspection drone this week in Florida at the MRO America's Exposition, a gathering of aviation maintenance professionals from around the world. Designed for use uh, inside a hangar away from the elements, the custom-built quadcopter uses a laser-based obstacle detection and anti-collision system to ensure it never gets too close to the parked aircraft. Following a predetermined inspection path, the machine flies around the aircraft all the time, capturing high-res images of its exterior. The data is then sent wireless to a tablet allowing the operator to review in real time for a more detailed look. Uh, the images are transferred to a desktop inspection station where a technician uses dedicated software capable of detecting any visual surface damage by comparing the real-world images against the aircraft's 3D structural model. The new inspection process will only take three hours including 30 minutes of image capture by the drone and will improve operator safety by the company as they said. Uh, by contrast, the traditional aircraft visual inspection is performed on the ground or using a telescopic platform, in particular for those upper parts of the aircraft, a process which could typically last up to one day. Uh, so as you can see, using drones in this way drastically reduces the inspection time, enabling the aircraft to return to service more quickly, while at the same time offering enhancements to the overall quality of the inspection reports. Airbus says its new drone platform is part of its Hangar of the Future initiative that brings together in not innovative... You're right there. <laughs> really smart technologies such as drones and collaborative robots for aircraft inspection. The aerospace company says it's already demonstrated its advanced inspection drone to several airlines, many of which have expressed an interest in incorporating it into their own aircraft maintenance procedures. The kit will be available to use uh, in the final quarter of this year. Now, Matt, you were playing the video there while well, there's a certain story there. And, uh, is that something you'd like to have a go of, Matt? flying that drone around well, I mean, to be honest with you it's probably a little bit pointless only because as it said in the video and as the story you were reading it is completely automated so you basically hit the go button and it automatically follows the line mm. of the aircraft the one thing that's that was for me was absolutely outstanding on that video was how beautifully shiny that aircraft was <laughs> it had obviously had a, a fresh tea cut just before the filming was uh, commenced but uh, yeah it's uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it's a great... I mean, of course, also, the, the, the way the story initially read, it rather suggested that it was actually um, sort of flying alongside it whilst it was in the air. And, of course, this is taking place on the ground yeah. in a hangar. So, um, you know, you but, we, but it's we a great idea. We covered a story not so long back. Remember, mm. uh, EasyJet were, um, were using, using a similar, a similar kind of system. system yeah. yeah. What do you think, Nev? I think it's a good idea, actually. And yeah. uh, obviously the accuracy is great. And they do this sort of thing in some of the business that I work in because we're using this BIM technology, you know, 3D, um, so you can see through buildings, so you can see mm. clash detection and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I, th- I yeah. think that's a good uh, good use of it, definitely. Nice to Alex, see change um, to you. It's nice to change to see a, a useful <laughs> Uh, uh, use, use of, of drones. genuine use of the drone. Uh, I think it's worth saying also in the chat room, Alexandra Lyons is saying that by contrast, Boeing uses a person with a very large hammer. Stephen, is this something that's being used in the US, do you know? Um, not that I know of. Um, you know, so in my former career, I worked at a, a power company and we actually had drones to do um, internal boiler inspections and things like that which is a little bit different than an aircraft um, but kind of the same principle and uh, we actually had a problem with the metal inside the furnace and inside the building itself causing the drone to drift um, quite a considerable amount and it would actually just hit the wall and crash out. Um, so I'm not sure if they've t- taken that into account doing that inside of a hangar. Um, I don't know if anyone's um, ever seen the inside of the Tech Ops hangar at uh, Delta in, in Atlanta. Um, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to maneuver a drone around when there's two aircraft stepped on top of each other. Um, so if you're not going to do it inside, that means you have to do it outside, which you have to take into account the sun being at a correct angle and all that um, to make sure all the images you're capturing are um, not causing you any glint or anything like that coming off the aircraft. So I, I think it's a good idea. It's just they might want to try it in some different areas as far as inside of a hangar with other aircraft around or outside and different types of weather. Well, I think it was saying also in in that story, it was actually saying that it was gu- being guided purely by lasers. So it was actually making sure that it sta- it wasn't actually being flown by the the guy. If you see what I mean, okay. it was doing it was. Well, uh, well, you know, even with that though, if you the laser, you know, failed, the sensor yeah. or whatever gets blocked, you know, that can cause you to drift, you know, True. to a certain extent, probably, you know. And I, I don't know if you necessarily want a drone running into a multi million dollar aircraft. Yeah. Yeah, indeed, yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, as you, but no, as I was just reading, reading, reading the chat. Yeah, sorry, we're reading Nick, the chat room. There. Sorry, Nick was uh, Nick <laughs> Nick was making some very interesting comments there. Nick uh, Captain Nick says he he thinks a bloke on a cherry picker might be a little bit cheaper. He might well be actually a little bit cheaper. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I was actually thinking if you're going to use cameras and all that, why don't you just um, break, build a special hangar that just does nothing but inspections and basically scans the aircraft? I mean, true. Yeah. We're, same we're, basic concept. Yeah, sort of like like a glorified MRI scanner, but with all that just scans over the machine. I, I can't believe that hasn't been thought of before, and I dare say it's probably cheaper than one of, one of these drones. And a quick special hello to Shorty Crosgrove, who's just, he's just appeared in the chat room. He apologise, he's been, he's been working very hard, but he's uh, still listening to the show. Oh, very good. And uh, he's just popped in to say hello. So hello, Shorty. Hello, Shorty. Okay, good. 
Excellent. Okay. Uh, shall we move on? Shall we move on? You yes. will move on to yeah. the next story, Matt. I think. Uh, oh, is it? Oh, uh, in that case, let's not move on because <laughs> I didn't realise. Sorry, I was so busy. Uh, it's the Evening Express. Is that correct? That's the one. Yeah, very good. Okay, so the Evening. Sorry, you caught me unawares there. The Evening Express uh, is the website, and the headline is "New Plane Unveiled at Aberdeen Airport." It's an unusual place for a, for a, for an aircraft launch. A new craft aircraft is being unveiled at Aberdeen International Airport. Norwegian airline. Uh, Widero, is it? Revealed yes. its new plane yesterday at the airport. The airline is the first to use the E-190-E2 aircraft on commercial flights and the second generation uh, Embraer jet took its first flight carrying passengers just after 2pm. Carol Benzie, who is the managing director at the airport, said we were honoured that Widerow would choose uh, to host this historic event at Aberdeen. It was, a fan it was fantastic to be able to share this exciting day with the airline and Embraer, and we look forward to seeing this revolutionary new aircraft in the skies. The aircraft, which is said to be environmentally friendly, took 78 selected VIP passengers, including Widerow CEO Stein Nielsen, on to further celebrations in Bergen. Uh, and that really is as a short and sweet story, but uh, yes. yeah, I think it's probably also to do with the fact that Bergen and Aberdeen, there's lots of oil and gas traffic between those two cities. That's probably why they chose Aberdeen. Oh, uh, to, I see. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah. one of those. So I've got a few stats then on the Embraer E195-E2. Oh. Uh, there's actually a good picture on that story that Matt's got there. The, I mean, look at the, the engines look wider than the fuselage near enough. But uh, no, the uh, the E195-E2 uh, maximum cruise speed Mach 0.82, and uh, it uh, has a takeoff field length of 6,463 feet. Uh, has a surface sea or surface ceiling 41,000 feet, a range of uh, 2,600 nautical miles or 4,815 kilometers. Uh, maximum takeoff weight uh, is at 61,500 kilos. Maximum landing weight 54,000 kilos and a payload max of 16,150 kilos and can seat uh, up to 146 people in a single class and that's with a 28 inch uh, pitch and uh, yeah there we go a bit of info on that aircraft very good well done anyone would have thought that you'd done some research i Carl, did a little bit of research game. yes anyone else feeling nauseous or is it just me no but <laughs> you can't admit though those, those engines on that picture though uh, what power is that they, they just look massive they do they, they look like the, they, uh, they should be on a much much larger, larger aircraft, aircraft yeah. 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 <laughs> there we are anyway so the next story then and uh nev Yes, this is uh, from AIN Online, and uh, it talks about the Sunflyer 2 that makes its first flight, and the prototype electrically powered fixed-wing trainer made its first flight on April the 10th by Aerospace, announced at this week at Sun and Fun. Uh, we had a fantastic first flight, said Charlie Johnson, by Aerospace president. Buy Aerospace intends for the Sunflyer series, including the Sunflyer 2, 
and the four-seat Sunflyer 4 to be the first FAA-certified US-sponsored all-electric airplane to serve the flight training and general aviation markets. Uh, the prototype aircraft flew at uh, Centennial Airport, uh, which is just south of Denver, Colorado. George Bai, founder and CEO of Bai Aerospace, low, said lower operating costs are key to solving the student pilot dropout rate, which is curtailing the successful attainment of badly needed airline pilots. The Sun Flyers two $3 hourly operating costs are 10 times <laughs> lower than that of traditional piston engine flight trainers with no carbon emissions and significantly reduced noise. EP Systems provided the engine, uh, the energy storage system for the Sunflyer 2 prototype flight tested, including battery modules, battery management units, and power distribution units. The battery cells are LG Chem MJ1 lithium ion battery cells, um, which uh, which have a 260 watt per kilogram energy density. By Aerospace will soon announce who his electric motor partner will be for the family of FAA Sun certified Sun Flyers. Uh, the company is also developing an advanced high altitude, long endurance solar electric unmanned aerial vehicles under the name Strato Airnet. Now, this is quite interesting, isn't it? So being able to learn to fly on this kind of aircraft might make it uh, a lot cheaper less a lot cheaper and is quieter well uh, yeah i, I just I, well, I, I was i was it, looking on the, at the stats actually on the specs on the aircraft itself it's got mm. um six lithium ion batteries uh pack or six lithium ion battery packs um the electric motor itself actually produces 110 horsepower which is not too bad really for an electric um, yeah. powered engine. I, I mean the the only thing that that massively concerns me about this story and I do mean massively concerns me is if you're learning to fly in this thing there are a lot of variables already that are unknown in some respects. Uh, I, I, it just makes me because it, it's not going to be able to stay in the air as long as say a petrol powered version. Three and a half a, hours. Three and a half yeah, hours. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. It, according no, right. to the yeah. spec list three and a half hours. As long as it's fully charged before you as start. As long as it's then, fully charged. You know, they don't take into account either um, it being hot or cold outside because that's going to affect your performance on your battery. Very good point. Very good point. You see, and you don't want a thermal runaway on those batteries. Uh, No, absolutely not. not. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) not. That's a big no no. No, we definitely don't want one of those. So, Stephen, this this has a a rate of climb of uh, 1,150 feet per minute, this particular aircraft. That, that is rather impressive. Yeah. But I, I, yeah. I suppose this is the, one of the things like over the electric cars, I'm using cars as an example because it's the only uh, thing that I can I can sort of, uh, sort of use as a reference point. But of course, um, one of the things that makes electric cars so fast is torque. It, it, you know, and I, I guess the same thing would apply in regard to a propeller and the the thing. You know, if the torque is much much stronger, you can get up to your maximum speed of the engine much okay. much faster than 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 you would uh, using mm. sort of conventional methods. Does that sound? Uh, what, what do you think of this, then, Stephen? What are your views on the Sunflyer too? Um, I, I think it's a good idea. You know, as far as saving training costs, and I know they mentioned that, and they said that the help reduce power charge and increase training and all that other stuff to reduce the cost. While, while that may be true, there, there's other factors that are going to come to that as far as reducing the amount of, you know, cost of training and all that. You still have to pay for a CFI. You still have to pay, you know, for the airplane, things like that. Um, 
So from that aspect, I mean, it'll, I think it'll help out a little bit. Um, and then as far as the actual aircraft itself, um, I noticed that it's got a glide ratio of 18 to 5, which is really impressive. Um, and then uh, other than that, I'm just, I would be really concerned about the life of the battery, depending on the weather. I mean, up here we've went from it being below freezing last week to it's 55 degrees outside yesterday. Wow. Um, that kind of swing is going to take a toll on the battery life if you're not flying it, in which I'm sure you know most places are going to be flying this thing for a better part of eight hours a day. But even then, how quick can you recharge these batteries to get people back in in the air? Um, you know, it's saying it's got a three and a half hour endurance. What what was it? I think it was um, 260 kilowatt hour batteries. So I mean, yeah. it's going to take a while to recharge those, yeah, and not so only that, you've got to low, put the bill. Put, put the electrical bill for that too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Although, although that will be cheaper than. I mean, that's why the electric cars work. You well, know, I mean, well, so it, it depends on where you live. Um, yeah. You know, down in Georgia, um, the average kilowatt hours um, anywhere between nine to twelve cents kilowatt hour. Um, I know there's some places up north it's closer to fifteen, eighteen cents right. kilowatt hour. So, which doesn't sound like a huge difference, but you know, this would be, fall under. Um, a commercial operation, so they're going to hit you with the commercial rate, which is going to be higher than the residential rate. But presumably, that, I mean, outweighing that against the cost of you know the kerosene-based fuel, essentially, presumably that's not um, not as uh, as high. Presumably, the the electric the recharging cost will be less than than using the highly refined yeah. aviation yeah. fuel that that you're using in the place. Less so flammable. Well, I don't know. Well, if you get a thermal runaway, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> Apart from the thermal runaway, yeah. Always get back yeah. to the thermal runaway. Indeed. Well, yeah, that's, that's another good point. You know, what happens if you uh, crash and you crack one of these batteries and it damages it? Is it going to instantly <laughs> start <laughs> catching on fire and burning everything? I mean, yeah, indeed. that's Big another point to yeah. think about on this. So if you want to go and buy one of these, Steve, and you can um, I'll just look at the price of these, oh, you, you can go and grab yourself one of these. Uh, for around uh, about two hundred and eighty-nine thousand US dollars. Splendid, right? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, hmm. I don't know if I would spend that kind of money. I know I have a couple <laughs> other airplanes I can get I for that. that Steve, they're going to do double the airspeed yeah. and all double the weight. So Stephen's thinking he's going to stick with the Mooney. Yeah, I, I, yeah well, yes, I'm going to stick with the Mooney for now. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful plane, to be fair. It is. Yeah. We've all seen it. <laughs> we well. have seen yeah. it in Pittsburgh. Yeah, absolutely. So the last uh, story on the show for this commercial news segment this week, and uh, this uh, we always love to bring you a top ten. And um, well, we brought you one last week, and uh, well, this this is uh, a top ten brought to you by a website that I think probably everyone in the world knows about which is trip advisor i have heard of i that. think yes, we all uh, we yeah. all at one point in time have probably either put a review on trip advisor or uh, read a trip advisor review when before traveling somewhere in actually do you know what my mum of all people is a is a trip advisor queen when it comes to that she reviews everything i'm a senior contributor are you yes right. okay i, I, and I mean that in a non a a you know older sense uh, just right anyway okay. <laughs> i'm glad we had this but no this uh, this top yeah. 10 is uh, like i said brought to you by uh, TripAdvisor, and uh, we have got uh, the top uh, 10 airlines how they stack up on TripAdvisor. so starting at number 10 at 
in at number 10. At number 10, it is Korean Air. Uh, based in South Korea, fleet size 169 aircraft and has an excellent rating of 58%. In at number 9, please, Nev. It's uh, Azul, and they're based in Brazil. Uh, they have a fleet size of 130 with an excellent rating of 55%. Uh, number 8, please, Stephen. Is Qatar Airways out of Qatar with a fleet <laughs> size of 212 and an excellent rating of 54%. Carlos, it's new at number seven. They're here in the UK. It's Jet2.com. It's a fleet size of 81 aircraft and an excellent rating of 59%. And it's worth mentioning, I think it's, uh, it's the only one from the UK that actually features <laughs> in said top ten. Uh, number six, please, Nev. That is the very popular Southwest Airlines based in the US. They have a fleet of 717 <gasps> aircraft mm-hmm. and excellent rating of 62%. Uh, in at number three, in at number five, please, Mr. Ivy. <laughs> is uh, Eva Air out of Taiwan with a fleet size of 75 and an excellent rating of 58%. It's number four, please, Carlos. It's Japan Airlines based in Japan and they have a fleet size of 267 aircraft and an excellent rating of 61%. It's our highest climber this week. It's number three. It's uh, Emirates, based in the UAE, and they have a fleet size of 267 aircraft with an excellent rating of 57%. No surprises here, it's number two. It's Air New Zealand, out of New Zealand, with a fleet size of only 56 aircraft and an excellent rating of 60%. And it's the top of the charts. It's number one. The TripAdvisor best airline in the world is Singapore Airlines. Based in Singapore, fleet size of 110 aircraft, an excellent rating of 58%. Very good, everyone. Very good. Okay, well, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, do we all agree with that? Is that Does that seem... Well, yes, Singapore have hit the top again, haven't they? But what really surprises me was uh, Jet2.com. No. Yeah. Huh? I didn't realise they had 81 aircraft in their fleet. That's incredible, isn't it? I must say, Actually, I, I, we, you've seen them here in the barn a couple of times. Uh, my what, friends, Jet 2? Uh, no, not Jet oh. 2. Shut up. Honestly. <laughs> Pretty short runway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, but no, Elisa and Lee, they, they've actually flown with Jet 2 quite a lot. And they, they literally don't have anything but nice things to say about their experiences mm. on Jet 2. Uh, so uh, yeah, so I can sort of see why they've featured quite highly in in this uh, this top ten. As I say, and interestingly enough, they are the only UK-based airline to actually appear in said. Um, and Jet report. Two still use the awesome Boeing seven five seven dash two hundred. They've got uh, eleven of those in their fleet. Don't you know? Indeed. Okay. So uh, lovely, uh, though, this uh, commercial segment (laughs) is. It is now officially over, and uh, it's time to turn our attentions to uh, a complaint, I think is the best way to describe Another complaint. Yet another complaint from (sighs) the legend that is Captain Nick. So, uh, uh, Captain Nick, please take it away. All right, you horrible PTUK, you're late on parade again. I'll have you down the guardroom on a fizzer if you don't watch out. What a story. It is, is a great story. I, isn't I it? didn't even know that happened. What the hell do you mean you didn't even know that happened? Don't you ever listen to plain tales? Did you, did you know anything no, about I, that? Then? I didn't actually know, no. Ignorance is no bloody excuse. You're all going to be on KP duty for the rest of your useless lives. <sighs> 
Mm, yeah, but, but no buts, you horrible little man. You'll get what's coming to you. I would imagine the one person who'll probably know um, know, know all about that story would be uh, Captain Nick. Yes, of yes. course, absolutely. Yes. Oh, good lord! That's the first sensible thing you said all week. Yeah. Who knows, there may even be a Plain Tales on its way, uh, all about Ooh. it, but uh, who knows. Well, if you know the Plain Tale, Avon over the Thames on APG 223 in June 2016 covered the flight of Flight Lieutenant Pollock's Hunter under the Tower Bridge in depth. And where were you lot? Still in nappy, sucking on your mothers? That's enough, Flight Sergeant. I'm sure the fine gentleman meant no harm, did you? Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on Twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Fly B5823 Trent Dane for 23 hour Manchester with Air 6X Climb Flight Level 210 Direct to Brooklyn's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. Tandem to TME, turn right onto Bravo, link. Do one, join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC slash TME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well, now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing-licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed-base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So, for the ultimate flight simulator experience, or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. I think it's safe to say that 
pretty much everyone enjoyed the uh, feedback from Nick. Well, I think we've officially been told off. There is no two ways about mm. that. Mm. But also, I think people were encouraging us to make mistakes more often so we can have more... <laughs> yeah, well, yes, there, there is that, yes. Rest assured, I will do everything I can to ensure that that is exactly what happens. But we make uh, mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we can't do things like that. We're always making mistakes. We're ne- we never get the damn thing right. Oh, anyway, there we are. <laughs> Welcome uh, into the chat room, uh, Dr. Steph. Dr. Steph's uh-huh. uh, in the chat room. Hopefully she's not watching the show whilst driving this week. Um. <laughs> she does that a lot, to be fair. She's a busy lady, what can we say? We should be very grateful for her time. I know. So we've got some military news coming up next then uh, to go through uh, for Mr. Warner, because obviously he does love his military yep, yep. stuff. And uh, after the military segment, we're going to have a good old chat with Stephen about how he's getting on with his yeah, flying. I think it's safe to say that Mr. Ivy's had quite a busy year. He has, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, without further ado then, we're going to get some military news. And so if everyone is ready... Uh, we certainly are, yes. Yeah, let's, let's go. go. Yes. So the first story this week then, and it's on flightglobal.com. And uh, we've all probably seen uh, at the air shows, we know we, me and Matt and Nev have definitely seen these. I think Stephen will probably have seen these as well at, uh, over in the US. The F-35's 11-year flight test phase comes to an end. Aww. So a Lockheed Martin F-35C on April the, the 11th completed the final test flight of the Program System Development and Demonstration, or SDD phase, capping off an 11-year-long saga spanning 9,200 sorties and 17,000 flights hours for three major variants. Program officials hailed the completion as historic accomplishment for an advanced high-performance aircraft with zero injuries or deaths and no aircraft lost since the original AA-1 prototype flew for the first time on the 15th of December 2006. With then Lockheed Chief Test Pilot John Beasley at the controls. There was uh, not one air, uh, lost aircraft nor one lost team member. F-35 Program Executive Vice Ad- Administrator uh, or Vice Admiral, sorry, Matt Winter said on the 11th of April, speaking at the Navy's League Air Sea Air Space Exhibition. May, uh, most major weapon systems go through a lot of learning, he added. The F-35 program encountered no unrecoverable safety incidents during the flight test program. But the learning began only seconds after Beasley's first takeoff in 2006. Instead of smoothly, uh, smoothly lifting skyward, uh, the uh, AA-1 abruptly tilted right before Beasley's correction returned the wings to level. Lockheed engineers blamed the unexpected tilt on the single pierce nose gear door, which they fixed by splitting the single panel door into two panels with one on each side. More surprises still awaited to flight test pilots after December 20, oh, 2006 on the 19th test flight. In less than six months later, the program narrowly escaped a serious incident 
With Beasley again in the cockpit, the AA-1 prototype suffered a major electrical malfunction, which spun the aircraft out of control. After Beasley again righted the aircraft and landed, the engineers launched a, a redesign of critical components of the electrical system. More issues including a transonic roll-off problem on the carrier-based F-35C, persistently overheating electronics and software bugs continued to dog the program for years. But the F-35's greatest challenges proved to unfold outside the flight test department as engineering changes and supply chain bottlenecks caused a series of delays and major cost overruns over a period between 2009 and 2012. When Beasley, now a retired 67-year-old, completed the first flight in 2006, program officials predicted that already five-year-old system development and demonstration phase would end in 2012. For the last half decade the joint program office has put a lid on the overall cost to develop and produce the 2,456 aircraft in the US military spending plan along with nearly 800 more committed orders from foreign buyers. The flyaway price for the F-35A fell to $94 million. That's not a bad price, I suppose. <laughs> in 2016, round of orders lot 10, which was technically signed in 2017. Winter remains committed to driving down the price uh, to uh, less or to around about $85 million for the F-35A in lot 13. So it's safe to say it's been uh, quite well put under its or put into its paces and Indeed. test yeah, this uh, particular aircraft. But uh, we were lucky enough to get up up close and personal one of these over in I think it was Pittsburgh last year mm. we got to see it and obviously um, they had one of these as well at Riyadh as well last year which uh, we couldn't actually touch and get close no, to no, no, but no. Uh, we could uh, definitely see it and take photos but um, yeah a good bit of kit this F-35 yeah yeah it's sort of serving well I think mm. isn't it yeah so next uh, on the new segment yeah. and uh, Matt. Yeah, this is On Flight Global again, and the headline is Boeing gets $24 million for extra Air Force One design work. So the US Air Force awarded Boeing a contract worth $24.1 million for additional design work on Air Force One. The design work was not specified in the contract notice the Air Force posted uh, online on the 10th of April. Work will be performed in Seattle, Washington, and is expected to be complete by December 2018. Design work is to advance the maturity of the air vehicle design beyond the preliminary design level on the VC-25B, the Air Force wrote in its notice using the aircraft type name. This modification supplements work already taking place under the PAR contract, including the acquisition of two commercial Boeing 747-8 aircraft and a VC-25B preliminary preliminary design activity the USAF awarded Boeing a 600 million dollar contract <laughs> to begin preliminary mm. design work for the Air Force One in September 2017 the aircraft modifications include adding a mission communication system electrical power upgrades a medical facility executive interior self-defense system and autonomous ground operation ca capabilities onto two Boeing 747-8 and a wine cooler 
and a wine cooler. And let's not forget, I think this is one of the aircraft that could do with a uh, gym, let's be honest. But uh, the USA have plans. <laughs> what are you to saying re- about Trump? I'm not saying. So, I don't know what you mean. Okay. Uh, the USA have plans to replace <laughs> its two 747-200 based Air Force One aircraft delivered in 1991 with two 747-8 originally built for Russian carrier Transario. This, uh, which which fill which filed for bankruptcy in 2015 before it could take delivery. President Trump has been critical of Air Force One's cost and personally pushed Boeing for cost reductions in 2017. After negotiations, he claimed repurposing uh, commercial airliners as well as other cost savings measures. Uh, cost savings measures promised by Boeing would save the government around $1.4 billion. The new presidential aircraft are scheduled to begin flying in 2024, long after he's no longer president. Uh, the <laughs> the uh, cost of that, sorry, I'm being a little political, I'm sorry. Cost of the program is $3.9 billion, according to the White House. So they saved money then, they obviously got rid of the wine coolers. Right, um, yeah, that'd be what it is. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Don't want to be, don't want to create too much mischief here, but I couldn't help noticing that these aircraft, uh, these seven four seven dash eights, were originally built for the Russian carrier. Yes, oh, Transero. <laughs> danger, <laughs> danger. <laughs> oh, I'm very scared. I'm very scared. What do you reckon of this, uh, Stephen? Because obviously this is uh, this is you know mostly based in your country in the USA. So yeah, uh, you, you know. <laughs> The, the 747 itself cost a lot of money, but, you know, I don't think people realize that there's a long list of requirements and that they have to make that aircraft compatible for certain things. Um, the communication system, um, all the defense mechanisms, the um, uh, onboard kitchen, food storage, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of modifications that go to it. So, I mean, even if you're saving money on the aircraft, you still got to spend the money on the modifications itself um, and then not only that you know you have to retrain the crew even though it's the same 747 you know it's a different type so that's the differences and all that you got to retrain them on um, and then you know they have two of them and you know generally if when um, he travels they both go to the same place in case the other one breaks down right. um, and I think they also um, you know the entourage that goes along with it I think there's a couple other cargo uh, aircraft to go with it that carries spares and all that, so you have to change out the spares, the tooling, and all that. So there, there's more to it than just the aircraft that goes into that. Um, and just on a side note as well, you know, they're talking about replacing the presidential aircraft. Um, you know, the uh, U- U.S. government also operates a fleet of 757s and 737s that are also um, quite old. I um, was reading an article last year that said that. Um, the five sevens that they use um, had a dispatch rate of like 65%. So that's not really good when you're moving um, people like the um, Secretary of State or the Vice President around the world. So. Indeed, just, I mean, um, this is this is all a bit. A lot, lot, lot more to it. Yeah, this is all a bit too sensible conversation, really. I should just uh, stress, actually, our man on the ground, Lane Street, uh, has some breaking news for us in regard to Air Force One, where he's uh, sort of uh, where he's uh, found out actually that Air Force One will have a built-in McDonald's drive-up window, which I think is a, a brilliant oh, idea. Uh, Neil nice. Lanwarn, great comment, but there's no way in hell I'm reading <laughs> that one out. Uh, <laughs> Unless you're in the chat room, you, I, you won't. You I, won't I, be reading that comment because no, um, I, I will get sued. Uh, but lovely. <laughs> 
idea. Oh, uh, excellent. <laughs> so moving on, the next story is is uh, one that uh, was uh, brought to us uh, by our very good man, Mr. Neville Bounds. Indeed. Yeah, I just noticed this week uh, on the RAF website that uh, the display details have been released for the 2018 Red Arrows ah, wow. season, which is great news. And a full list of where people can see the displays by the Royal Air Force Aerobatic Team, the Red Arrows, in 2018 has been released. The Red Arrows' 54th season is also uh, the RAF's centenary year, of course. Indeed. And displays are expected to be staged across the UK with a chance for millions to enjoy the team's dynamic shows from May through to September. The team is planning to display with its trademark nine aircraft formation for the RAF 100 year. To enable this to happen, squadron leader Mike Ling is rejoining the squadron to fly in the red three position for the season. Squadron leader Ling will cover the flight lieutenant David Stark while he recuperates from injuries sustained at an in an incident at RAF Valley in March, which also led to the death, sadly, of engineer Corporal Jonathan Bayliss. Wing Commander Andrew Keith, officer commanding Royal Air Force Aerobatic Team, said, Preparations continue for the Red Arrows 2018 season, when the team will play its part in marking the RAF's centenary year and aims to inspire all of those who see our display. Careful consideration was given in making the decision to bring a pilot into the Red 3 position. As the squadron recovers from the tragic loss of a colleague, the ongoing convalescence of Flight Lieutenant Stark and the safe, safe operation of the Red Arrows is paramount for us. The decision will also allow the most visually appealing solution for the 2018 season and uh, maintain the Red Arrows' famous Diamond 9 shape. Squadron Leader Ling, who's a qualified Hawk T-1 pilot, is among the most experienced Red Arrows pilots, having previously completed nine seasons with the team, including flying as Red 3 in his first year with the squadron in 2008. He left the team at the end of last year, having been Red 10 for six seasons. Later this month, the Red Arrows are to carry out a planned annual exercise overseas, where the team, including pilots and support staff, will complete a focused five-week pre-season pre-season training program and you can see the list of the red arrows display for 2018 on the RAF website which is um, probably best to do a quick search for it rather than me reading out the URL because it's a quick google search will no doubt answer the question for you yeah, far faster than but, uh, isn't it great news that they're going to be flying again this season uh, yeah. with a, a full nine formation indeed yeah. and, and it, of course uh, you know obviously our thoughts as we said at the time obviously are with those yeah, you so. know with with the those involved in in the incident before uh, and of course uh, as Nick has quite rightly pointed out in the chat room, not at Farnborough, of course, because this is one of the few places where uh, I think they were only able to do a fly pass before, weren't they? Mm. Which was really, really sad. But uh, yeah, if you if you are in the states and you do get the opportunity to see the Red Arrows, then uh, do they do much stuff abroad? I, d I don't really know. No, not not, no. not the US. No, I'd love to Europe. Know. I'd love to Europe see and it. the UK. Yeah. yeah. So moving across now, then to the US, uh, Stephen. The last story. Yep, um, another one from Flight Global, uh, Boeing's 100th P-8 enters final assembly. The Maritime Patrol aircraft is destined for the U.S. Navy in the fall of 2018 and is part of a string of back orders that Boeing will keep its P-8 production line running until 2022. Their space manufacturer said it has delivered 82 aircraft since the launch of the program in 2011 and has a total of 120 air 27 aircraft contracted to the U.S. Navy, Australia, the U.K., and India. 
The company believes it can add more aircraft orders to the program from the current and new customers, eventually extending the total number of aircraft delivered to 200. Norway signed an agreement for five P-8s in 2017, and Boeing is bidding to sell aircraft to South Korea, which is expected to decide on a maritime patrol aircraft by 2018. The P-8 is known for submarine hunting, but in the face for additional competition from aircraft such as Saab Swordfish, uh, Boeing is keen to emphasize that the aircraft size gives it extra room for capabilities beyond its anti-submarine missions, especially for countries in the Middle East and a lot of countries in Asia. That What makes the P-8 interesting is the multiple mission aircraft. Uh, said Matt Korn, global sales and marketing lead for the P-8, noting that the jet's anti-surface warfare, intelligence collecting, and search and rescue capabilities, we are able to incorporate new technologies, additional sensors, additional pre-merbage, which makes it really appealing for our customers who can't afford other aircraft. The company also points out it's produced more than 10,000 units of the commercial 737, the airframe of which the P-8 is based. Well, it looks like they are definitely trying to get a couple more orders out of there. Um, I think there was a P-8 at um, the Pittsburgh Air Show last year. I didn't get a chance to go on it, um, but I was told that it's a quite capable aircraft and um, its mission, which is primarily submarine um, hunting. But I think they also do some electronic surveillance and jamming with it as well wow. for the Navy. Um, of course, I think it's important to point out that it is not capable of landing on the uh, carriers. So, okay. unlike the uh, P3 of which it's replacing. And over in the UK, uh, the Royal Air Force here have got eight of these on order from the US. And um, the Royal Air Force are hoping to take delivery of, uh, of these, SA or start taking delivery of the aircraft in 2019 so we've got a bit of a wait till we get these over here in the uk mind you at a price of um well a list price we can you can never obviously go by the list price because we obviously get a group discount uh but these are, <laughs> right, are roughly around about 125 million dollars um off of the bat for one of these which is yeah i think it's based off the 737 800 yeah yeah um, is, yeah it's um, it's based off the 800 users. Most of the commonality with the 800, but obviously, I think it's got um, a slightly different interior. This one, too. yeah, yeah, <laughs> a lot more uh, electronic stuff. And I also believe that it has a torpedo bay as well. But I have to say that we uh, we saw one of these at Riyadh last year, and um, it's safe to say they they weren't really up for the idea of letting us on board this to have a look round. Oh, which is a shame. No, no. Yeah, there must be reasons. I know. So that is where we bring the military news segment to a close for this week. And, uh, well, let's get get back to our guest, really, on the show this yeah. week. Stephen Ivey, welcome onto the show again, Stephen. It's good to have you back you. on. And Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. It's safe to say, Stephen, you, you've had a fairly, uh, well, busy, really, kind of start to 2018. So fill us in on what, uh, what's been happening in the life of uh, Stephen Ivey. Okay, um, so I think I was last time with y'all back in August. I just got my commercial uh, single engine certificate. Um, so after that, I was already working on my multi engine, but I was working on finishing it up. Um, I finished it up in October of uh, last year, and uh, after that, I started really, really looking for a flying job. Um, I was uh, kind of fed up with the job I had at the time, and just wanted a change in life in general, so I uh, was offered several jobs as a survey pilot. Um, 
flying um, 172s around. And I uh, took a job with a company out of South Bend, Indiana. And uh, I've been flying with them since October of last year. Um, been flying a pretty good bit. The start of the season, I didn't fly that much because um, of various reasons. Uh, leaves on the trees, so you can't take pictures. There's leaves on the trees, snow on the ground, things like that. So I didn't, I didn't fly that much um, for the for October. End of October, November didn't fly really at all, um, but after Thanksgiving, I uh, started flying a lot. Um, was in Indiana from about end of November till um, right after Christmas. I uh, went to from Indiana down to the Tennessee, Virginia area in the Bristol, Tennessee area. Worked there for a little while. Uh, went up the uh, Shenandoah Valley, the Roanoke, Virginia, was there for a couple of weeks, and then over to uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, did some work over the Langley Air Force Base and the Norfolk area, and then um, on down to North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky, back up to Indiana, and now I'm in uh, Michigan. Um, so that's uh, what I've been doing. Uh, I've been... F I'd I'd say I, I, I fly probably about 100 hours a month on average. really depends on the weather and everything. But I, I've been flying a lot more than um, if I was still at my old job at home. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. flying the many around. And the best part is I haven't had to pay for any of this flight time. <laughs> well, no, exactly. <laughs> so come on, I'm going to have to ask the ultimate question here. So by, based on the flying that you've done now, obviously, how many hours do you actually have in your logbook? Roughly. Uh, roughly yeah. as, as, okay. of, as of now. I actually totaled up my logbook this morning, and Ooh. I uh, just crossed 1,000 hours as of yesterday. So, yes. Yep, yep. And uh, before I started this job, I was at 430. So I, I've done <laughs> a okay. lot of flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, one of the questions they said, I mean, because obviously you're doing server, you know, surveying essentially, which is, I, I think it's fair to say, it's not necessarily the most interesting thing you could be doing no. while you were in the air. <laughs> yeah, Mike. Uh, Mike is asking the question actually, uh, Stephen, in the chat. Mike says, uh, "Can you tell us both the fun and the monotony of survey flying?" Um, well, I would say the fun part is definitely the travel. Um, kind of going to the different towns stuff, which I've actually been to most of the places that we've went. But it's still nice being there for a little while, being able to check out the sites and everything. Um, and also just meeting people in FBOs, um, some really interesting people we've run across. Um, I know when I was in Williamsburg, the line guy that works there, um, apparently that Williamsburg airport's had several presidents go through it. Um, we met another guy that um, was in, in the military and had a couple of aircraft that he let us check out and everything. Um, but as far as the uh, monotony, yeah, um, the job itself, it, it gets pretty boring uh, most days. Um, you know, start of the season, we were only flying four to five hours a day. So uh, it really wasn't that bad. But now I'm flying anywhere between eight to ten hours a day uh, going back and forth. Um, so I've had to find ways to kill time. Well, kind of make the time go by faster, really. Um, I know we've got, we have a frequency that we use for the other pilots that are in the area, so we'll talk about stuff on air-to-air, -air, um, kind of coordinate with each other so we don't run into each other. Um, then listen to ATC, um, which gets old after the first hour. Um, 
and then I, um, for Christmas, got me a set of A20s, which is the newer Bose model headset for uh, aviation. And uh, I've listened to a lot of podcasts um, while I'm flying. So I'll have ATC on the radio, the guys that I'm working with on the other radio, and then I'll have a podcast in the background all at the same time. So um, it tends to make things uh, go by quicker. Actually, uh, going to what you were, you were saying there, uh, Stephen, uh, Micah is actually saying, does, does survey uh, flying require formation flying as well? Are, are you working with others in formation? Um, no, it doesn't require it. Um, we ha so the type of system I use for our survey is um, a patented system for this one company, and it doesn't require it, but the way the flight plans are laid out, um, they're generally anywhere from a quarter mile to a half a mile apart for each flight line. So we'll generally space um, each other out by at least two flight plans so we can still see each other, um, but we're not close enough where we'll hit each other. Now, if we have um, some work that's in like a restricted or prohibited area where you have to call and get clearance into, we'll actually fly the same flight plan um, sort of side by side. So you'll have a guy doing a one line on one side and then you are on like two lines over going the same direction. So you can actually look out the window and see him yeah. and have, you know, kind of avoid him at that point because there's a certain tolerance you have to keep while you're doing the line. But we'll, uh, we'll, it's sort of like a formation. I mean, it's not close enough to be considered one, but I mean, it's, I mean, yeah. you can see the guy playing his day. So yeah, it's you, pretty you're close. You're flying a sort of alongside each other. So Nev, we've got yeah. some uh, questions in the chat room. Do you want to, uh, uh, yes, we have, and a question from uh, Tony S. Uh, he asks, what happens if ATC don't let you fly your track due to traffic or other restrictions? Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, in the U.S., FAA manages all the airspace, but each area has got a different set of people, and they all, I don't know, they react to the survey work in different ways. Um I know in, here in Grand Rapids, the controllers have been really accommodating. Um, they've actually moved several planes out of my way. Even though I'm flying on the final to the runway, they've actually vectored people out before they can get down below me and then intercept the glide path for the uh, runway. So they've been really accommodating. Um, there's other places um, that I kind of question their decision-making on how close they get people. Um, when I was in Williamsburg, I was uh, going over Langley Air Force Base, and I guess they were doing approaches um, for um, some of the fighter aircraft there. And you'll just have these fighter aircraft whiz by you, and they're, they're, they're at least a mile away from you. But, you know, when you're just flying a line, you see a little dot come whizzing by, you know, it kind of startles you. Um, but they're, they're generally accommodating. If they don't want you there, they'll let you know before you even get off the ground if um, they want you there or not. And we've learned some cases where you have to really work with them and come back another day um, and do it. Um, it's generally smaller um, airspaces that don't generally have a lot of traffic. And I guess the controllers just aren't as experienced and don't want the added hassle of having planes flying over approach corridor or over the airport while they're trying to get commercial traffic in. So it, it really varies, but most of the controllers are really accommodating for what we do. Well, I mean, presumably they, they're acknowledging, obviously, you're there to do a job in the same way they are, so that, you know, it's, it's sort of trying to sort of make sure everybody stays a safe distance away from each other, I guess. 
Yeah, and, and a lot of it, it really comes down to communication. Um, you know, for me, when when I'm calling for a clearance, if I'm in a, a controlled airspace, you know, the airport itself is inside a controlled airspace, and they're asking, you know, uh, what are you going to be doing? And I'll be like, well, I'm doing um, survey work. I'm going to start this line X amount of miles in a certain direction. I'm going to be at this altitude uh, going east or west, north or south, and um, I'm going to be working uh, south or northbound. And then they'll usually call you back and either tell you, um, we can't do that today. Can you work somewhere else? Or, you know, then they'll just read off the clearance for you and you'll go to work. Um, but you know, there's some, there's some guys I work with, um, that you, they don't necessarily communicate it clear. They're just like, yeah, I'm doing survey work. I need a VFR departure out to this direction. And when, when you, if you're not telling them all the details, it makes their job harder. It makes yeah. it harder on you because they're not going to know where you're at so they can send the aircraft around you and uh, give you uh, accurate traffic warnings for stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes surely that's good common, common sense, isn't it? A question from Neil Lanwarn in the uh, chat room, Stephen. He says, uh, mm -hmm. it's a bit worrying, do you worry about being replaced by a drone? <laughs> you, you know, we've talked about this a lot, um, the guys I've worked with. And um, I, I think it's possible, but the essential awareness you need for this job, um, I don't think a drone's capable of doing. And when I say that, you know, we're basically flying an ILS all day. You know, we have a certain tolerance. Um, we get 200 feet vertically in either direction, and then we get a 150 feet uh, left or right and then you get a limit of three degrees of roll and four degrees of pitch, which is not a lot of wiggle room um, on a calm day. Now, you factor in turbulence, um, wake from other aircraft, and then other aircraft that don't realize you're there and having to move out of the way, um, it, it's a lot to keep up with on, on just a single pilot operation that's human. Um, a drone operator, I'm not sure, is going to be able to handle having to make constant corrections in turbulence, um, wind correction error, and then also avoiding other aircraft at the same time. It, it, it's a, I mean, it's a lot for me to keep up with on a really busy day. Um, you know, on a calm day, yeah, sure, a drone's going to be able to do it probably better than I am as far as flying or imaginary line intolerances, but when you start having the turbulence factored in and then other people that don't realize you're there and having to avoid them, um, I don't think the drone's capable of doing that. You're safe. You're, you're safe in your job for, for, for the foreseeable future anyway. Foreseeable future, yeah. yeah so, definitely. Nev, we've got some more questions, haven't we, in the chat room? Yeah, another question from Tony S. Um, do you see the pictures that you've taken and what are they used for? Um... So I do not get to see the pictures that I take. Um, we take the pictures, we ship the hard drive off, and that's about the end of it. Um, and at the start of the job, they tell you, you know, these pictures are for basically whatever we want to use them for. They don't really tell you who they're for. Um, having done this job for a couple months, talked to other people, and um, just doing some research, um, I can tell you that some of the images are used for Google Maps. Um, we were working in the Norfolk area, um, like I mentioned, and there was one guy that took a picture of the harbor where all the ships were docked, and uh, we just had had some snowfall. So you could see where the snow was pushed off to the side and everything. And he came back about a month later and 
was just looking at Google Images, and he matched up the ships that were in port, and then he could see the snow too. Um, wow. So you could tell that the images were recent. Um, I think the majority of the pictures we take that were for local governments for tax maps. Um, here in the U.S., um, they tend to, you know, change your uh, property tax depending on growth and all this, but also if you built anything. So the only way you can really tell that is if you go over to the person's house, look in the backyard, which isn't really economical to have a team of people going around checking everyone's backyard um, every year. Um, so what we do, uh, you know, without the leaves on, you can see um, plain as day if anyone's built anything um, without a permit or anything like that. Oh. We've got a very important question in the chat room, uh, Stephen, from uh, Jen Niffer. It's more of a complaint. Um, more really, of a complaint, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's uh, said that uh, when is uh, Stephen going to fly to my airport? He's been just to the north, just to the south, and just to the west, but you still haven't been seen, Jennifer. Oh, you see. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a good answer for that. Um, I, I really <laughs> do not get the pick where I go, um, and I, I don't think the company gets to decide where we go either. It's kind of um, at random. Um, generally, we know about a day in advance where we go next, um, depending on the uh, project. Um, and it's usually every Friday they will load projects. So I've actually got about another two hours before they might load some new stuff. Um, I'm hoping that they give us some stuff somewhere other than the Midwest. No offense to people who live in the Midwest. Uh, it's great, but I've been in the Midwest for four months out of this job, and I just would really like a change of scenery and also just some cross-country time. I'd really like to be able to go out west and uh, do some flying out there, but we'll, uh, we'll see. Another question from uh, Tony S. And uh, I don't know whether I should ask this one, really. It's a bit... Probably not. If, yeah. you're if, you're um, if your filter is going off, I then know. probably not. Um, <laughs> Tony S. is asking, uh, do you listen to APG or hey. do you fear falling asleep? Oh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, no, is the short You answer. know, I, I don't r really have that problem. Um, like I said, I, I've got two radios in my ear plus a podcast. Um, I have actually had a problem flying a straight line sometimes from some of the jokes that are made on APG <laughs> as well as this show. Well, um, yeah. I, I've, I've actually had to pause it so I can get back on the line and keep flying. So uh, I have to be very selective of what I listen to while I'm flying for, you know, getting off course and all well, of that. I think it's fair to say everybody knows that you listen to Peter UK in order to aid you to sleep. So, you know, <laughs> well, Gem yeah, Gemma yeah. says that. I don't know about yeah, anyone else. Absolutely. I've got a whole list of uh, friends who uh, say exactly the same thing as no, well, uh, to be fair. <laughs> no, uh, Mike has got a good question. Nev, Anthony uh, in the chat room, if you want to take that one. Uh, yes, except my chat room's just sort of frozen. Okay, good. Okay. Don't like, panic. No, Mike. Mike has uh, asked a quite an actually quite a, a quite an interesting question actually for the for the job that you do, Stephen. Uh, how much of the flying that you do is by hand versus autopilot? Oh, it's it's all by hand. I don't, I don't have autopilot on board. It's uh, all hand flying. So I'm flying hand flying the airplane for now eight and a half ten hours a day. Um, it's wow. it's it's fatiguing. Um, wow. I, I think the, the, the hardest thing is, you know, you can't, I don't know, for, for me, it's kind of hard to switch from my left hand to my right hand. So, like, if my left hand gets tired, I'll try to fly off my right, 
but I, I, I don't know. It may be just me, but I have a hard time flying with my right hand. It's, it's just a little bit harder. So there's that aspect of it. And then um, your feet cramping up. Um, and then when I first started this job, um, I was just wearing tennis shoes, um, you know, it, which, I mean, that's pretty normal, I guess, for most people. But I actually had a problem where the rudder pedals were digging into the soles of my shoes. So I actually had to switch to my boots um, to be able to actually not, you know, have my feet cramping up from having the rudder yeah. pedals digging into my feet. Um and then I'll, I'll try to keep this a family show because this is probably an aspect people are probably thinking about but not want to ask. So um, flying, <laughs> uh, it's usually I do it in because you're in the air quite a long segments. time, aren't you? This is yeah. where this is going. Isn't <clears> it? I, I'm yeah, guessing yeah. there's no there's and, no and, uh, and, and there's no uh, you know no facilities <laughs> on board. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no facilities on board at 172. <laughs> so um, I have an endurance of about five and a half hours. Wow. Um, and <laughs> wow. I, I do my best not to drink any water. Right. Oh, um, but when you have to go, you have to go. So I have gotten creative for, um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's, there's that aspect of it too that plays into it. But isn't, isn't I will that, say that, that a bit turbulence risky? is not your friend when you need to use the restroom. Well, no, yeah. no, I can imagine. I, I'm guessing you, you can't just open the window and kind of. Um, I'll pick him up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you a story. So, uh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> We had this uh, guy that used to work with us. He uh, went on to go do something else middle of the season. But uh, so we, we stay at uh, some decent hotels. So they have breakfast in the morning. So we usually have like these coffee cups like this that um, some of the guys will drink coffee or whatever. And he was drinking his coffee. And then he would use the restroom in it. Uh, and he would open the window and oh, drop no. it out. That's yeah, horrible. and then it would just spiral down to wherever he was flying over. So, uh, wow. oh. yeah, not, not on a sidewalk, just, I hope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. There, anyway, moving swiftly there, on. There, there is um, a terrifying news. I should just, I should just say actually that uh, Tony has said in the chat room. By the way, I do absolutely love APG. He's just having a bit of a laugh yeah. day, like we all are. Like we all do. Yeah. Captain Jeff doesn't seem very impressed. He's asking questions. How do I leave this stupid channel? Uh, which is fair <laughs> enough. I, I, we I love you, Jeff. For that, <laughs> absolutely. Just go back to flying for a second. Oh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you sort of did answer the question, but I'm not sure I, I got it all. But uh, the endurance on a 172 for, you know, what, what sort of range has the aircraft got in, in, for, for the flying that you do? Well, so for five and a half hours, if you just base it on, you know, 90 knots, it's, it's roughly close to Right at 500 miles is what you could travel in that time. But, you know, if the wind's, you know, heavy, you're not going to go as far. Um, we, we've got one airplane that actually has the extended range tanks. So he has an endurance of close to eight hours. So he can go almost cool. 800 and something miles. Wow. In a 172? Um, on one take of gas. In a 172, yeah. Yeah. Been, but I, I, I've had that plane before, and I... I I didn't have it at the uh, at this part of the season, so I was only flying it four hours a day. But you know, it, it's nice to have that extra fuel on board because there's mm -hmm. been times where I'm doing the math and I'm like, okay, well, if I go in now, I, if I don't get vetted, I'll be able to get down before I'm gonna have to start worrying about fuel. Um, I think the closest I've gotten, and it wasn't it wasn't because I just was out there flying. I had to. Um, I was number eight in line to land. And I landed, and I had used 35 out of the 40 gallons. So 
that's about as close as I'd like to cut it. Mariana's asked, actually, um, in case anyone missed it, what, what uh, is the actual aircraft type you fly? And on top of that, um, is, do you have the kind of aircraft you fly every day, the same one, or do you sort of switch and change? And So um, I fly a 172, like it's a P model, um, and we generally keep our aircraft for the duration of our work period. So... We're supposed to work for a month and get a week off, um, but you know with turnover and everything, you generally don't get that. So we usually have the same aircraft for however long our work period is. Um, I've had the same aircraft I'm in now um, since March when I came back from my time off, um, and I'll probably keep it till the end of the season. We're not looking to have any time off till the end of May, so. Um, I'll have that same plane till the end of the year, which um, the plane itself, um, you know, it's a 172. Um, we don't have a back seat because um, all the camera equipment. And then um, my particular model only has a 40-gallon tank, so I'm, I'm kind of limited as far as endurance goes. And then I don't have a GPS. I just have two uh, radios and then the transponder, and that's uh, about it. Wow, basically. That is amazing. Yeah, I very, think, very bare bones. I think everyone expects you to have all the singing and dancing you know, computers and yeah. gadgets and Garmin GPS. Well, well, you know, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I work for this one company. They have the side that I work for, which is a particular camera system, and then they have another side that's uh, mostly uh, 182s and Cessna 310s and Piper Aztecs, and they have a different camera system on board. And all those airplanes have autopilot, uh, Garmin 430s, um, you know, all of extended range tanks they've got all kinds of bells and whistles on it which makes it easier to fly um but they also charge a lot more for the work they do um the side of the company i work for is kind of a uh low bid type uh company so they bid the lowest and you know they pay the least but you know it it, it works i mean you don't have to have a uh, GPS on board to do the kind of work we're doing. You know, we don't fly an IFR um, at all, hardly. I mean, I've I've flown a little bit of IFR in it just because I'm current and I can um, get out of some of the airports that get uh, clouded out and all that. Um, there was an instance where uh, the survey area that we were going to be working on was actually VFR, but the airport we were on in was IFR. So um, I was current. I filed a flight plan. I took off and got over to the work area and flew all day and then landed, filed another flight plan and came back to the airport. So it's, uh, wow. you know, it's not fun flying without a GPS. It's very old school yeah. um, having to sit there and actually look at, you know, the different VORs you can navigate off of um, mm. and making sure that, you know, they're actually working. But uh, it's, uh, very you know, uh, worth it. So, so I mean, obviously you're absolutely loving this, uh, but Jennifer is asking a fantastic question uh, in the chat room, as are all the questions in the chat room this evening, as usual, is saying, what are you hoping to do next? So obviously you're enjoying what you're doing at the moment. But thousand hours. You know, you've got a thousand hours on your belt. I mean, you know, in a f several years' time, uh, what would you love to sort of move on to fr from, from this? So... Um... Long-term goals to be at a legacy airline here in the States, um, preferably Delta just for where I live would make the most sense. But obviously I can't go from doing this to um, going to Delta. So I'm going to have to go 
to a regional airline probably is my best bet. Um, I've, I've went back and forth on what to do from here. Um, I could go fly uh, 135 cargo. Um, there's a couple of companies in, in the U.S. that I could go work for. Um, but, you know, they generally don't fly that much. Um, you may get two hours a day, five days a week, which is 10 hours a, a week, which it's not bad, but if your goal is to get to a big airline quick, that's not really going to be your best scenario. Um, so I'm probably going to end up going to a regional airline. I really um, don't have one picked out. The one that I had picked out quit hiring um, until later this year, and they have a wait list now for uh, applicants. So um, I'm kind of having to look at other regional airlines in the area, um, which means I'm going to have to commute probably. Um, from Atlanta to whichever base I get assigned, um, which I've done before. It's not fun, but it's doable. Um, so I'll, I'll probably do that. Um, hopefully, I won't I won't be there longer than five years, and then after that, I'll uh, hopefully uh, get on with uh, Delta long term. But you know, a lot can happen in five years. Um, you know, the airline industry could completely um, go to crap, which you know that's always possible. To, um, no matter what's going on, um, you know, economies change, things happen. Um, so as far as a backup plan, if that happens, um, I'll probably end up doing 135 charter operations. There's several um, around Atlanta that I could probably get on with. Um, so, Quite um, inspiring words from Captain Al in the chat room. Uh-oh. Actually, it's a very bold <laughs> statement. So, brace very, yourselves, everyone. Very bold statement from Captain Al, actually. He says, um, going back to earlier, we were talking about you hand-flying the aircraft, and uh, Captain Al has said, you can tell Stephen is a real pilot because he's hand-flying and not flying one of those hideous computer-driven Airbuses. So, well done, <laughs> wow. Al. That yeah. is, that's, that's almost a very, compliment. I yeah, that, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I also saw it. He, he said something about marrying a British girl and coming over there to fly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that one, Al. No, I'm I'm really come not. on. We'd look after you. I can promise you that. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's, that's good to know. Um, I actually, I, I did look into, um, I think it was, Jetstar New Zealand or uh, another airline down there that they were um, saying that they were going to loosen the restrictions for coming down there uh, to work for the airlines as far as visas and everything. Wow. But they still have the same requirements as the regional airlines do here in the States and the, the pay is about the same, which doesn't really do any good to go down there except for the flying would definitely be a lot different than flying yeah, here in the bet. States. But lot, that, that would be a lot better. probably be fun to go down there for a couple of years, but uh, unfortunately, Steve, we're going to have to start wrapping up now, but uh, I, I think it's safe to say that the chat room has been rather mesmerised by the toilet discussion we were having earlier. There's been some <laughs> fantastic <laughs> ideas uh, fi- um, fired at your way. Mr. Anderson has suggested there might be another... Um, uh, Plane tiles about fee- Some fee- t- feedback coming in <laughs> very shortly. There's also... Uh, he's also suggested a piddle pack. I don't know what one of those. Liz Piper suggested that maybe not a curry uh, the night before. Uh, uh, Mr. Uh, the legend that is uh, Captain Jeff 
for, uh, is impressed by your five hours endurance. It's uh, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> incredible. Uh, Micah, yeah. as you could always rely on Micah for a sensible uh, answer, and he suggested maybe you should invest in some adult pampers. Uh, that's another option. Uh, <laughs> uh, the list goes on. It's raining, dear. Uh, there's some great references to uh, to what uh, Jeff was saying about how do we get out of this uh, this particular show. It's like you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> Cue guitar solo, that sort of thing. So it's it's been a lot of fun. So it is. Uh, uh, where we have to start wrapping things up, I'm afraid, guys. Stephen, thank you so very much for yeah, joining us. It's awesome, Stephen. Yeah. Brilliant to yeah, chat. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, anytime, my friend. I think that we definitely yeah. can say the uh, the guys in the chat room have really enjoyed uh, yeah. you being on the show tonight, Stephen. So very thank much. you again. Yeah, thank you ever so much. So uh, don't forget, you can catch up with us on social media. We are on Twitter and uh, at Plain Talking UK. Uh, we're on Facebook as well. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook. I'll be posting a few pictures at some point soon of the uh, of the where we are with the studio build, so you can see what's going on in there. Indeed. And uh, don't forget, you can also find our website. Matt, where's the yeah, website? Yeah, you will find our website on uh, it's www.plaintalkinguk.com. That's www.plaintalkinguk.com. Facebook.com forward slash Plain Talking UK, which is the which is the bit that Carlos forgot about. Uh, we mentioned him. Earlier, obviously, uh, there's a marvellous new website that's available courtesy of APG, and that is the marvellous Plain Tales. And uh, I need to go back to to listen to the episode that we <laughs> should have <laughs> remembered uh, earlier. Uh, so uh, you could do that by going to a fantastic new site that Captain Jeff and the team have set up, and that is airlinepilotguide.com forward slash Plain Tales. P L A N E T A L E S. Plain Tales. Uh, well, all I can say is, Nev, thank you so very much for yes, joining Nev. us. Our, as always, the legend yeah, that pleasure. is. How, how, oh, before we finish, Nev, how's the uh, how's that new camera going? Oh, very nice. Yes, I've been uh, playing around with it, as they say. Uh, and, and the camera. Uh, yes. yes, I'm really looking forward to uh, using it on some outside broadcasts and some air show stuff. I think we're going to get some absolutely awesome results can't, for it from it and with all the other ancillary gear that I've bought as well. Indeed. So no, looking very promising indeed. I'm, I'm myself are never getting closer and closer to being able to share with everyone a very exciting project that we've uh, been involved in. I can't wait to share that publicly because it's been a lot of fun uh, that is where we have to wrap things up guys thank you so very much for watching the show as always uh, thank you for watching on YouTube thank you so much to all those who download uh, see I do read the show notes I'm, you are I'm, impressed I'm sitting there thinking, <laughs> has Matt read the show notes <laughs> yeah, has Matt absolutely. read the show notes yeah 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 uh, thank you so much to all those who download via iTunes and Libsyn and Spotify and all the <gasps> other services, services that are available uh, it, from all of us here it is time to say goodbye say goodbye everybody take care everyone bye. have a great weekend Bye. Bye. Bye.